Good morning, this is Jeff's Joint on KSVY 91.3 FM, and today we have a very special guest. But before we start the program, we want to start it with the man of the hour, Mr. Spike Jones, from a demonstration recording that we found off YouTube, and we hope you enjoy it. It's Mr. Spike Jones himself, so take it away, Spike. Thank you, and hello, music lovers. This is Spike Jones bidding you welcome to another musical roundtable discussion. At this session, we are going to discuss the City Slickers' newest recording, Dance of the Hours. Dance of the Hours was written by Amilcar Ponchielli. Ponchielli wrote such famous works as El Figolo Prodigo, I Mori di Venezia, La Dugamelli, and 14 other things which are even harder to pronounce. The City Slickers' arrangement of Dance of the Hours is in two movements. Allegro Vivace and Allegro Con Moto. The only difference is that with the Allegro Con Moto, you get a side order of meatballs. Our recording opens with a duet for flute and harp. But to continue, the harp and flute passages are followed by a series of gunshots. These were not in the original music. I put them in to make sure that my musicians stayed awake. Following the gunshots, there is a cowbell cadenza. The instrument you hear in the background is known as an infernal machine. This is played by our first infernal machinist, Dr. Richard Morgan. Dr. Morgan, would you explain what the infernal machine is? Gladly. It's a Hawaiian steel guitar. Just an ordinary Hawaiian steel guitar. Yeah, the same kind they give away free with a copy of your record of Hawaiian War Chef. Dr. Morgan, how do you get those distinctive sounds from the instrument? Well, I'll show you. With my right foot, I plunk the strings like this. <laughs> then with my other foot, I control the pitch. Wait a second, Dr. Morgan. Did I understand you to say that you play this instrument with your feet? That's right. Well, what do you do with your hands? I hold them over my ears. That's logical. Thank you, and put on your shoes, Dr. Richard Morgan. Now we come to one of the most interesting musical parts of the City Slicker version of Dance of the Hours. <laughs> The figure which you heard at the end of that jazz portion is known technically as the doit. Actually, the doit in plain everyday language is nothing more than a played backwards. After the doit, the orchestration reaches new heights with a description of the 500-mile Indianapolis Speedway Classic by Doodles Weaver. In this, Doodles imitates 14 racing cars as they roar around the track. Unfortunately, Doodles could not join us here for this discussion. He's at the gas station having his oil drained. And so, music lovers, I have given you the background and program notes of the City Slickers' version of Dance of the Hours. And now, this is Spike Jones inviting you to listen to our RCA Victor recording. And you're listening to Jeff's Joint. Good morning. I am Jeff Gilbert, and today our guest is Mr. Jordan R. Young. Good morning, Jordan. Good morning, Jeff. 
And I want to say you have written a great book called Spike Jones Off the Record, The Man Who Murdered Music. Everything you ever wanted to know about Spike Jones is in that book, and you have outdone yourself with a collection that you uh, have acquired. Uh, well, thank you, Jeff. It's you know it's a pleasure to talk to somebody who uh, who has such a great uh, appreciation of that era as you do. I do, and as a kid, I remember searching for seventy eights of Spike Jones, and you know now they're so common. But back in the you yeah, know in the seventies, yeah. they were the hardest things to come by, you know, and there wasn't that much out on disc, really, reissues and things. But uh, I got to tell you, I started out with Doodles Weaver, and you know. Sir, uh, what's his name? The guy that lived over in Vacaville, Horatio Q. Yeah, Birdbath. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was. I was actually. I saw Doodles' uh, son win the other day. Uh, we went up and visited uh, Joe Syracuse, who is the uh, the last surviving member of the City Slickers. Oh wow! And 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 Win had not seen him in uh, in almost forty years. Uh, you know. And Joe's the last guy Ronnie could talk to who worked with his dad, you know, pretty much. So I guess Helen Graco is gone too now, is she? No, no, she's she's still around. In fact, yeah, I, didn't... I think she'll be ni- oh I think she'll God. be ninety seven this week. Well years ago I interviewed her and Spike Junior when he came out with that uh D V D set. Yes. And, and they were just fabulous, you know, great people and I'm sure you know yeah. them very well, so Yeah. No, she's she's uh, she's still very much around and, oh, I'm and glad uh, to hear that. pretty good shape for what I hear. Well, how did you get into Spike Jones? Well, uh, let's see, I was about 13, and we moved into a new house in uh, North Orange County, uh, California here. And uh, a, a friend of mine and his his older friend who drove, uh, they pulled up in the, in the driveway one morning with their pure space huh. blasting out of the, uh, the A-track uh, <laughs> In their in, in the car, and uh, probably half the neighborhood could. It was like a Saturday morning, about nine o'clock, you know. And uh, I just I just flipped over it, and I started ran down to the um, the you know it's just a short walk down to the neighborhood thrift store and started looking for seventy eights. Um, and uh, it's funny, I think almost the first one that I found was a record called uh, "Blowing Bubble Gum," and oh, yeah. the the vocal on this is by George Rock, who was the, um, I didn't know who he was. I mean, I, I caught it on and I listened to it and I said, who is this god awful little brat, you know? Yeah. And later on I got to know George Rock and, uh, you know, he's six feet tall and 250 pounds and, uh, yeah, but he was he was the he was the band's trumpet player and, right. and very appro- very appropriately named. He was the rock of the band. Yeah, he was something uh, else. Yeah, everyone had tremendous regard for him. But he he also could do this this wonderful little kitty voice, which he started doing before he joined Spike. He was with a uh, a group called uh, the Schnickelfritzers. Oh yes, led by Freddie Fisher, and right. he was doing this little kid voice for for Fisher. But uh, of course, his uh, his big hit with that voice that everyone remembers is uh, Two Front Teeth. Yes. I remember having that forever blowing bubble gum thing. I don't yeah, think I have it anymore, but it's probably yeah. somewhere on YouTube. Yeah, well, I'm sure it is. But, you know, uh, when they when the band performed for President Truman, um, Rock did that did that number. You know, he's dressed in a little old Fontelory outfit or something, and he did that number. And 
yeah, he's he he personalized it. I mean, this isn't on the record, but it, Mr. President Bubblegum, oh, you know, yeah, <laughs> for, for, just for Truman, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to meet a lot of these uh, alumni of the band. I uh, was lucky enough to start. When I did, I mean, uh, Mickey Katz was the first one. I interviewed him in 1977. Wow. And uh, yeah. that was, you know, it was a couple of years before I got the uh, got the idea for the book. Yeah. Well, it's a labor but of I, love. I interviewed, I interviewed, thank you. Why? Well, I mean, I interviewed guys he went to high school with, you know. Yeah. Um, it was just, you know, you just have to be lucky enough to, to start early enough to do that, you know. That's it, because most of the fellows, as you say, they are all have gone. They're all gone except for Joe, who's 99 and is still very lucid. Uh, wow. And what what was yeah. his part in the band? What did he do? He was he was the drummer. You know, I mean, originally Spike was the drummer. Yeah. But uh, as they got going and got they got, he built it into a bigger and bigger operation, uh, he wanted to spend more time planning the thing. And uh, I mean, he was really the brains of the, you know, in the. I, uh, I, I I like to compare him to the Wizard of Oz, the little guy behind the curtain that nobody's paying any attention to. You know? Yeah, yeah. But he was orchestrating the whole thing behind the scenes, and uh, so he wanted to, you know, so he would he would bring in somebody else to uh, to play the drums. You know, although he was still doing a lot of the percussion. And things. Sure. I see that in the book you have like the set lists and radio uh, documentation. What Spike's writing down his sets and all that, and what what. It just brings the business of it together, where you you realize that those are band arrangements they're playing, and they're not just ad libbing as people think they were. Everything was written down and it's precise, and what a it was just a great business that he had on stage and the great uh, presence he had with an audience. You know, yeah, he was uh, his his real genius to me was behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, planning the. Public re- handling the public relations, putting all that together, and the marketing. Yeah, know. he really was a uh, genius he, at that. Yeah, he, yeah, the uh, very little improvisation, as you say, uh, and almost it didn't you know, say it never happened. Yeah, but I, there wasn't much of it, you know. I mean, no, uh, yeah, it was as precise as Guy Lombardo was, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and he, uh, you know, he wanted to prove that he could. He could he could play that stuff as well as anybody else, uh, uh, especially you know right at the height of the big band era. Yeah, uh, and uh, it was about forty six. He uh, I think it was the uh, the Trocadero on Sunset Boulevard. He uh, he advertises uh, Spike Jones' other orchestra. Right. Yeah. And it, and yeah, this this guy's playing big band stuff, and it's terrific. I remember want to listen. Hindsight People Records. People didn't want to hear that. I believe Hindsight Records came out with a lot of those transcription things that he did with the other orchestra. Right, right. Yeah, on, on LP, and I think. Wally Hyder, I guess. Now, but, yeah. Right. But uh, Mickey Katz told me his people people just walked out. They said, what is this crap? You know, if we want to hear... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we want to hear this stuff, we'll go to the Hollywood Bowl, you know. And, yeah, and, they were and, used and, to a certain see product. Benny Goodman or Glenn Miller or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was. He was. Spike was very disappointed in that. But he, once he hit it, you know, big with the novelty stuff, he couldn't. He Can, couldn't persuade people that he uh, couldn't get away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, that's what uh, he did best, you know. And I think even later, of course, yeah. in the fifties, when he did those albums for Liberty, a one or two, a Sunset Strip is a classic, you know. 
And I don't know if Stan Freeberg's stealing from him or vice versa. <laughs> uh, yeah, somebody told me they kind of influenced each other. I know that, uh, and I and I did talk to Stan Freeberg, but uh, yeah. the uh, briefly anyway. But the uh, uh, he was a big Spike Jones fan, and oh, uh, he even had a little. He even had a little band called, you know, Red Fox and his Comedy Hounds or something. Oh, he did. Not to be confused with the Red Fox, but right. uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, and but uh, he starts making records. Well, before long, Spike Jones is a big fan of his. You know. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, it's great that in our day and age now, where we have all this availability and people can actually see Spike Jones. When, when I was a kid, I couldn't see him. Maybe in a movie, Meet the People or something like that, you know, one of the MGM things. And now you can just go on the Internet and you can watch the great artistry of Spike Jones' band, even as corny right. as it can be, but it's the greatest stuff ever for the younger audience, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there really isn't that much uh, on video or or film, you know. Uh, well, the TV can, uh, shows that Spike Jr. came out with, I think there's clips and things they have on there, you know. Right. Well, uh, yeah, the family has its own uh, YouTube channel, and in Billy, fact, uh, Spike's Billy, Spike's daughter Gina told me her, her her favorite way to introduce people to her dad is to take them to the, uh, the YouTube clip where the band is all in drag. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> that, uh, it's great to be a girl musician number. Isn't yeah. that the show with Billy Barty where he does Liberace? <laughs> I forget. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the same show. And of course, yeah, Billy I... did that more than once. But uh, yeah, that's... that is the most insanely funny thing. And uh, and nobody was a bigger fan than Liberace. He got a tremendous bag out of it. Oh, I bet because that was really something else. And I that record sold a lot of records too. I think. <laughs> Yeah, it sure did. Yeah, it sold, sold a lot of records, and then, uh, of course, they did it on TV several times. And... You know, I was trying to remember, and i trying to look things up, but uh, I, I I didn't read that part of your book yet about Spike's days where he was with Victor Young and John Scott Trotter before he started his City Slickers. Yeah, back in the beginning, you know, and he was, uh, he's on over 100 Bing Crosby records, including yeah, White Christmas. Quite the studio know. musician, yeah. Right, right. And I guess Victor Young, he worked on the Life Boy show with Jolson and all that, too, I think. I'm not sure of that. Yeah, you would know. This, this, uh, well, <laughs> on the top of my head, I'm just only about 8 billion facts. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> well, let's talk about the book, because the book is available, and it's on Amazon, I guess? It's on Amazon, in both paperback and hardcover, and... Uh, eventually, uh, ebook. Oh, that's not out yet. But the and it's it's also on BarnesandNoble dot com and on uh, BearManorMedia dot com. B e a r. BearManorMedia is the publisher, and they did a they did a great job on it. Oh, it's a beautiful book. You know, I just Thank love you. it. And I I was reading about Kay Ballard. I had no idea that she was. I heard that she was with Spike Jones on stage. I guess right on the stage. And uh, yeah, not on record or anything. But yeah. on stage, and this is this is the very beginning of her career. Right. Yeah, she's uh, from Cleveland, as uh, oddly enough, so many of the guys, the people in the band were. But uh, she's uh, she's red in Cleveland, or she's doing impressions, you know, in yeah. little places and uh, and stuff. And uh, well, he had quite the troupe when he was out doing the stage shows. You know, it's like wow. He had a, yeah, just a tremendous, and people don't realize, I mean, they traveled in, 
uh, in trains in, in, yeah. in Pullman, two Pullman cars traveling across the country. And I'm, I'm not sure that he didn't get that idea from Paul Whiteman because yeah. Whiteman had done that in the 20s. Yeah. With the with the Pullman cars, uh, they probably don't know just, any, I don't know of anyone else who did it. Probably needed just one car to put Spike's equipment. You know all yeah, those bells. Well, right, and all right. that. Yeah, yeah. One car was the uh, two cars, and one was the uh, the props and the equipment and and, and, and stuff. And, uh, yeah, what a lot uh, of you know they would material. they would sit up. They would uh, Spike was. Uh, uh, suffers from insomnia, and uh, so uh, two, three in the morning, he's up, you know, working on the show, getting ideas and things, and uh, he'd go and wake these guys up, you know, the writers and the uh, people like Joe Syracuse, who would come up with gags, but also the writers, Eddie Maxwell and uh, Eddie Brandt and a few others. Eddie Brandt, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but he would uh, he'd get them up at two in the morning, and they'd go and they'd sit in the men's lab and uh, and work on the show. Yeah, they were dedicated. Yeah, really. A, they sure were. They sure were. And I love that he, uh, the fact that a lot of his guys were with uh, Ted Weems, Red Engel, and I guess Country. Did Country Washburn work with him a little bit? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Red and uh, Country were both. Uh, yeah. With with, uh, with Ted Weems and. Uh, and that's a pre uh, Red Engel's Unnatural Seven, right? Right, right. The, uh, I think, yeah, actually, country, uh, country was in the band first, and uh, Red Ingle came back from the uh, uh, from the service and uh, joined that country. And country uh, said, "Do you want to play with Spike?" And uh, uh, I think also the girls, the uh, the original Slickerettes, the uh, the uh, the Nielsen Twins from Wichita, Kansas. I think they also sang with Ted Williams. Did they? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, Carl Grayson. Now I know he worked with Henry Bussey's band, and I was right. reading an old modern screen magazine, and there was a little thing in there that Gene Harlow was at the Coconut Grove, and Henry Bussey's band was playing, and her favorite vocalist was Carl Grayson. <laughs> yeah, so I've I don't know. That before. I don't know if that's. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's true, you know, but it was in yeah, modern screen. Yeah, probably is but, true. I mean, he. He was a professional violinist and a, and a soloist when he was 19 years old. And uh, yeah, I always thought he, he had a great one. voice. Then he played with he played with the Kit Kat Club. Kit Kat Club. There's a tongue twister in London. And uh, yeah. yeah, and then he was with uh, Henry Bussey at the uh, at the Shapery in Chicago. And, uh, and that's actually where he reportedly caught the ear of. Uh, the head of uh, Columbia Pictures, Harry Conning, and got a movie contract. Huh. And they brought him out here and uh, and put him in pictures. Eddie Brandt told me they were grooming him as a, uh, a uh, I guess, a replacement for uh, Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Huh. And then he joined Spike, and uh, yeah. the, band was in its, the band was in its infancy, I mean, at the very beginning when he joined. Yeah. And uh, they even had a... Uh, a gig at a uh, a place in downtown L.A. called the Jonathan Club, and it's uh, and Carl Grayson's fronting the band. Oh, uh, he had he had a little reputation then, and so they were using his name, and he was fronting the band. Huh. Yeah, yeah, he was a good singer, you know, great tremendous. Singer. So the yeah the uh, for the get, a, were, get around, leave the dishes in the sink, and all those things, you know. <laughs> 
you know, for people who might not be aware, Carl Grace is the is the is the vocalist on Der Fuhrer Space and Cocktails for Two. Right. And uh, and he's the one doing the uh, those wonderful uh, you know I can't do this those wonderful throat sounds the glugs. He's the one glugging. That's pretty good. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no. I I was, I was going to say you. I, I was going to say you could have been with Spike, you know, you could have been a crooner, you know, you would have thought... been good. But uh, you, you, nice. you, as long as you can keep a straight face, that's it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, always that thought was that was absolutely... Spike. I always thought that was Spike doing those gurgles or whatever, you know, the gugs. I didn't know uh, that. That's Carl uh, Grayson. Prob- huh? He could probably do them, but the uh, the preeminent glugger in the band was Carl Grayson <laughs> on uh, on uh, Hawaiian War Chant. Yeah, in fact. Yeah. Uh, by the time Spike did Morpheus, he had fired uh, Grayson for, uh, sadly, he was an alcoholic. Oh, no. And uh, when Spike realized he couldn't depend on him any longer, he had to fire him. But uh, when he did Morpheus, he brought him back uh, because, uh, well, as I put it, uh, you know, who else could glug to the tune of the can-can without choking <laughs> on their tongue, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then other guy, once uh, Grayson left, that other guy did it. Mickey Katz did it. And yeah. Joe Syracuse and some others. And Mickey Katz, Mickey. for those people out there, he was a great Yiddish comedian, and yes. his his son is Joel Gray. Yeah, right. Uh, and his right, absolutely. And his granddaughter is uh, Jennifer Gray. Right. Yeah. I just saw Joel yeah, Gray in Three Girls and a Sailor or something. What was it? It was a Jackie Leonard movie with Gordon McRae, and he was in it. Oh, it's on Turner the other day. But, uh, Three wow, Girls and a uh, Sailor, something like that. Something like that, yeah. The, uh, Spike wasn't in it. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, you know, Mickey, Mickey was writing special material when he was with Spike, and uh, but he only did one. Uh, it's only one record where he does the where he wrote and did the vocal on it uh, called the Jones Polka. Yeah, we have and, that. Uh, here. Just uh, ironically, it was. Uh, uh, in that very first batch of records, you know, the first uh, handful of records I found uh, at the thrift store, along with Blowing Bubblegum, it was the Jones Polkas, and I'm madly looking for more. Yeah. And there isn't any more, except I started finding Mickey's own records, which are wonderful, like Chico Tico. And, uh, On the Capitol, know, he goes, he have leaves, some of those. Yeah, right. Well, he started with RCA, and then he went to Capitol. But, uh, I see. Yeah, I, I think he did Tico Tico for both RCA and Capitol. I like the RCA version better. He but, does the te- uh, doesn't he do the Tennessee Waltz, or is that uh, somebody else? Well, Spike did it. Yeah, uh, is that Mickey Katz on the vocal? I can't remember. I haven't no, seen that record no, for it's, years. It's, it's, no, it's it's Sir Frederick Gass, alias Earl Bennett. Oh, okay. And and Sarah Berger, who, as you know, is a, probably knows the uh, oh sure was the telephone operator on the uh, the Jack Benny show. Yeah, and, and Mrs. Uh, Kravitz, yeah. the second Mrs. Kravitz. Uh, or no, that's the other no, lady. I, no, I think you're confusing her with. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, Sandra Gould. Yeah, wasn't she on the Benny Show too? <laughs> I think she was. Yeah, it's his she girlfriend or something. She was certainly on some early radio shows. So yeah, that was pure it's B. Benaderet and, and Sarah Burner, right? That's it. As the right, uh, Gertrude and whatever their names were. Mabel and Gertrude. That, yes, yeah, they were. Yeah, they're right. <laughs> they were sorry. the telephone operators. Uh, People remember uh, or be better Derek. She never worked with Spike, but of course, uh, yeah. people remember her from Burns and Allen. And uh, and there's a I think there's a soundie of Mel Blank doing clink clink another drink, isn't there? 
Yeah, there absolutely is. You have a great, uh, in the back of the book, you have everything that Spike recorded, personal appearances. It's just terrific how you've done this. Thank you. And, you know, the ink is barely dry on the thing, and somebody comes up the other day on, on Facebook and says, hey, I just saw a Spike in a 1932 Warner Brothers picture. Oh, no. In the band, you know, playing in a band. No. Which what? is insane. This is Was three he? years out of high school. Oh, my band. God. And six years before the the earliest known, uh, but uh, he he put up a uh, screenshot on there, and uh, it's 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 out of focus, but it, it looks like Spike, and oh uh, you know he it certainly could be because uh, he's running all over town performing all these little bands, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, little little uh, society bands and dance bands, and uh, so I I don't know for sure. I suspect it was. Uh, it might have been one of these little uh, dance bands that he was appearing with around town, and, and they took him and shoved him in this Warner Brothers picture, and there he is on the drums, you know. Uh, whose uh, band was it, do you remember? I, I have no idea. Was, uh, we haven't figured that out. I haven't seen the film. Huh. Uh, but I'm guessing it might have been one of these little society bands that yeah, he was yeah. playing with around town, you know. Yeah. Now, he grew up in Long Beach. He did. He was, uh, he was born in Long Beach, although his parents yeah. lived... Uh, in Calexico at the time, down in the Mexican, near the Mexican border, on the desert, you know, and, uh, uh, but he, uh, he's about 15 and he, uh, goes to a, uh, I guess a convention and, uh, something and, uh, and here's the, uh, here's the, uh, Long Beach High School band, uh, which was one of the best bands in the state at the time. And uh, as soon as he heard the band, he knew he wanted to. That's where he wanted to go to high school. So he, he remarkably independent kid. He's about 15 years old and gets mom and dad's permission and uh, leaves them in the Imperial Valley and uh, <laughs> and moves up to Long Beach and takes an apartment and, uh, to go to high school there. Oh my God! And, uh, yeah, and of course he already has his own band while he's in. High school. I said, actually, I think he had his own band when he was in elementary in uh, middle school. You know, he yeah. had his own band, and then he had, I think, maybe a couple of different bands of his own when he's in high school. And uh, um, you know, they're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, and they're running around town playing gigs for a dollar a yeah, a, yeah, yeah. He's quite the go-getter, you know. Yeah, tremendous, uh, yeah. I remember get her tremendous energy. that Spike Jr. was saying that he would always be collecting horns, cans, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I guess he had a whole garage full of it or warehouse, wherever he kept all that stuff, for his yeah, sound had, effects, had, I guess. Right, yeah, yeah, at least one warehouse, if not two. But, uh, and yeah. that started very early on. That started back in the in the early 30s, early or mid-30s. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's driving around in a station wagon and, and picking up junk and stuff. And uh, one of his one of his buddies told me about a gig they were playing at a hotel. This is back in the I guess the early thirties. Uh, they're playing a hotel and uh, uh, they just ripped the uh, the telephone off the wall and <laughs> <laughs> smuggled it out under their oh the trench coat or something. And, yeah. yeah. Now you're asking me about Victor Young, so I had a moment here to, uh, Victor Young is the orchestra on Shell Chateau, which of course is the Al Jolson show. Yeah, that's the show. Uh, and then the Shell Chateau and then the Lifeway program, that's Victor Young's orchestra. Yeah. Spike was in, uh, uh, 
uh, on those shows with him. And then uh, uh, Victor Young, of course, is really the guy who... uh, did so many who, movies. Who, who gets him into the studios, you know. Yeah. Uh, really, really, uh, yeah. As a studio uh, musician. Yeah, because Victor Young yeah, didn't really yeah. go out, I don't think, on the road, you know, maybe in the early 30s. But no, by no. that time, he's pretty much like Freddie Rich, and those guys are just staying in the studios. Right, but he was the one who got Spike into, into the studios. He did, you know? yeah. Yeah. Wow. All the great people he started out around, it's like Jolson, you started out with the best there, so. It's like, wow. Yeah, he's in he's in John Scott Trotter's orchestra on the Craft Music Hall. He's yeah. in uh, he's in uh, Edgar Fairchild's uh, band on the Eddie Cantor show. He's, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. That's right. He's, I... in, he's in he's he's in Billy Mills' orchestra on the Trevor McGee and Molly show. Yeah, yeah, he got around. He did. And when did the City Slickers first start? Around forty one or forty. His idea. Uh, because he had, the, the I was reading first in, RCA, the, the RCA recording started in forty one. Forty one. Where they're officially the City Slickers, but before that, you know, uh, I mentioned the uh, the Jonathan Club that started in yeah, I think in nineteen forty, and uh, where it's you know it's it's the Carl Grayson band and the. Uh, these, uh, but it's the city slickers, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a dead end kids movie from, but 1940 words, you know, they don't have a name yet, but <laughs> and they're uh, starting roughly in 39. They're they're he yeah. and his Spike and his pals are, uh, you know, in their off hours are uh, fooling around in a little uh, little building at uh, what is now Hollywood Forever out of the cemetery yeah, and, uh, and uh, hmm. trying out things and stuff. And, yeah. Well, you're going to stay with us for another half hour right here on KSVY 91.3. I am Jeff Gilbert. We're talking with Jordan R. Young, the author of a great book, Spike Jones, Off the Record, The Man Who Murdered Music. And we'll have another uh, half hour. But before we go into the ne- next half hour here, I want to play a, one of the recordings you sent me. And you have a, a vast collection. And well, uh, yes, but let, let me let me correct something you you, you put out there that uh, or the impression uh, these are not uh, strictly from my collection. A lot of these are from the uh, the Spike Jones archives. Oh, I see. But you know, they're your collection now. Yeah, <laughs> right. <yes. laughs> Sounds good anyway. Well, I, I'll play Jones Polka, one of your first recordings that you picked up as a kid. One of my favorites, uh, Mickey Katz. I mean, I just became, it was the first thing of his that I heard. As I say, I started running around looking for more. But, uh, yeah, maybe an instant fan of Mickey Katz. uh, Now, is this uh, this an air check? No, no, this is an RCA recording. This is the Victor uh, recording, all right. Yeah, but uh, it's it's a rarity. It doesn't show up that often. It's not, uh, uh, except for the CD that I produced uh, in the, in the mid '90s, does it show up on any other CD that I'm aware of? Can you still find that CD? I guess you can. It's out of yeah, print. Yeah, it's out of print, but it's it's called uh, the Man of Murdered Music. It's out of print, but uh, yeah, it's still flo- floating around out there on uh, eBay and other places. All right. Well, here it is, the Jones Polka, Mr. Mickey Katz, and we are with Jordan R. Young, and we'll be right back after this recording. <laughs> Thank you. 
Cocktail when I am blowing droopy And then I'll dance a polka And make it lots of hoopies I work it in a coal mine Things are pretty black But the night that treats on me I cash it my paycheck Everybody have a drink Let's have fun together I got plenty money Go catch a double header Bartender please take care my friends Drinks for ladies and gents I got all kinds money Thirty two dollars and forty five cents Have it anything you like, even rum and coke it. Just give me glass, plain whiskey, rum and coke it, make me choke it. Fill up your glass with fishnick, we gon' have it, great big picnic. Everything she's in the pink, everybody have a drink. Everybody have a drink, don't nobody start trouble. Some smart aleck like it, fight, I give it trouble double. I am peaceful citizen, don't like to drunk or make it. When I go too fast, I pull the emergency bracket. That's the way I like it, lots of polkas, lots of drinking. Pretty soon you don't watch out, everybody's thinking. Bartender, why you holler? Oh, I owe you $16. Turn on the water in the sink, everybody have a drink. Cats vocally with the Jones Polka, Spike Jones and his City Slickers. This is KSVY, and we are talking to Jordan R. Young, the author of the great new book, Spike Jones Off the Record, The Man Who Murdered Music. And we are here at 1134, and we're glad that you're with us, Jordan. I'm happy to be here, Jeff. Really want to thank you for that book. I, I've enjoyed it. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I was going to say the, uh, the Jones Polka, I... I I brought the CD uh, to uh, Earl Bennett, uh, who was, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Sir Frederick Gass in the band, and uh, we listened to it. And after he said, you know, the Jones Polka, he said after after that, everybody, everything else sounds like amateur night. <laughs> yeah, how <laughs> funny! <laughs> and and he himself had a terrific, uh, uh, you know, Yiddish. Uh, uh, inflection and uh he's on uh of course uh riders in the sky oh yeah as well as as well as uh tennessee waltz i uh yeah i really enjoy those recordings and spike got a lot of a lot of flack after he put out tennessee waltz uh with he and sarah burner doing the skittish uh yeah. um uh, uh voices and uh yiddish dialects and uh and, and and Spike got got upset. He says, "You know, how come Mickey Katz can do a record and uh, uh, there's not a problem?" Well, he wasn't aware that uh, I don't think that uh, Mickey Katz also 
encountered a tremendous amount of pushback and uh, did he really a lot of con- a lot of controversy over these recordings sure a lot of the wow. people thought that they were too jewish you know yeah uh mickey as mickey told me he said there were you know there was just um well he ran into um People may be not aware that uh, there are such a thing as anti-Semitic Jews out there. Yeah. The uh, yeah the uh, I guess it was the Jewish editor of Variety. He said that uh, just uh, just gave him uh, tremendous uh, oh no slack over uh, I guess it was Judith Crockett. But uh, well, there's records uh, by uh, Alan Sherman and I. Sylvia Fruz, she was a vocalist, and they did a lot of that Jewish dialect right, right. stuff in the fifties. Yeah, but that's but that's later. That's that's really early. Yeah, uh, early sixties. Most of that. I know? guess so. By yeah. Then, uh, by then, things had changed a lot. Uh, Fibish Finkel and all those people. I think I have that album yeah. laying around somewhere. All right. Yeah, I mentioned uh, Dewey Crockett a moment ago. Uh, it 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 comes and goes. It appears and disappears from YouTube, but. There's a uh, there's a clip of Jennifer Grey doing her grandfather's Mickey's uh, song Dewey Crockett on the uh, on Conan O'Brien. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, I highly recommend that if you can find it on yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, I have to look for that. And she, she's she's quite good at it. Really? When did yeah, Mickey catch? Uh, how long has it been since he's passed away? It's been quite a while, right? Died in 1985. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, just uh, he, he uh, uh, died the day before the 20th anniversary of Spike's death. Ironically, wow. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, and uh, Spike 20, 20th. Spike yeah. died so young. You know, it's like he did. Yeah. Do you what, yeah, what exactly was, happened? Do you know how he passed? And well, yeah, he was he was uh, uh, he had asthma. You know, as a kid. And it didn't stop him from uh, doing what a lot of kids do, you know, start smoking cigarettes to look cool, you know, yeah. I guess. And uh, by the time he's uh, uh, in his adult years, he's smoking five packs a day. Oh, my God. And, unfiltered, yeah, probably, and, too, you know, the unfiltered yeah, probably, cigarettes. But, you know, it's hard to find a photograph of Spike. Uh, Without a cigarette. Without a cigarette in right. his hand, you know. I mean, except for the publicity pictures, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, even though even some of those, but I mean, and uh, on TV he can't smoke, so he's chewing gum, you know. Yeah, but right. uh, <laughs> but uh, his so trade Yes, yeah. So he has this five pack a day. Uh, My God, uh, habit and uh, lighten them off each other. Uh, yeah, developed emphysema, uh, and uh, his, his daughter Linda told me you know, when they. When he when he was diagnosed with it in 1960, uh, nobody had ever heard the word before. They didn't even know what it didn't even know what it what it was. So what does he got? You know, yeah. uh, and you know he was he was just uh, hooked on them. I mean, he uh, one of his managers uh, told me he would drive him down to UCLA for a treatment, and uh, he'd get in the car and light up. You know. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, it's just uh yeah, it's a hard Yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah, the uh addiction there is just uh terrible. You know, so many of the uh the guys in the band died so young. It really they they were a huge success, but it it exacted a uh 
yeah, they, they, they paid a tremendous price for it. And Doodles, so many of us. I think Doodles committed suicide, didn't he? He did, but, uh, you know, extenuating circumstances there. I, mean, I, I did the last interview with Doodles, I believe, the uh, which was about four months before he uh, before he passed, he was but, ill, uh, right? He had an illness. Yeah, well, he had he had uh, he was the guy who was always tremendously athletic. Yeah, and uh, but uh, he was a heavy drinker, and uh, you know it takes its toll. And uh, yeah. he had a heart bypass, and it didn't really work for him. But uh, uh, he just never felt well after that. And, yeah, I remember uh, when that happened, because I had his phone number, and as a kid, I called him, and he sent me an autographed picture, and it said fetal bomb, and everybody always says beetle bomb, and I, you know, when on the phone I asked him, he says, no, it's not beetle bomb. He was very adamant about that. <laughs> well, he's, he's, on the, uh, he's on the radio show, you know, the, the, yeah. uh, the Spikes radio shows in the late 40s, Professor Beetlebomb. Right, yeah. There's absolutely no question. In fact, you know, I... Uh, it was a cartoonist named Milt Gross, who uh, who did uh, Spike's uh, the the uh, design the curtain for Spike's uh, musical depreciation review, yeah. and Milt Gross was a humorist and wrote uh, and I got a hold of uh, this book he did called Nice Baby. It's full of Yiddish uh, jokes, Yiddish uh, you know inflections and stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm just reading it just out of curiosity. I'm looking at it. This is about 1925, and uh, maybe you're off on the date or something. I open it up on the very first page. Mel Gross yeah. has a character called Mrs. Kedelbaum. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, this is where Doodles got it. Probably, and, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, years later, I'm looking through Doodles' diaries. Uh, his son, Wynn, was, uh, was kind enough to... Uh, to loan me the diaries, and uh, and suddenly here it is. Here's an entry where where Doodles yeah. uh, tells you that this is where he got fetal bomb from. Oh, he from did. Gross. Yeah, he was a nice guy. You know, for when I was a kid, he's talking to me on the telephone for about fifteen twenty minutes. That's how nice of a generous person he was. You know, he was very nice. I uh, I he was the first person I met. In really? The band. Yeah. Yeah, I went to a Laurel and Hardy. Uh, Thing, a, uh, the Sons of the Desert was the Laurel and Hardy Appreciation Society. Sure, yeah. But Doodles, Doodles played a bit as a taxi driver in uh, Swiss Miss with yeah. Laurel and Hardy, and he was in some other Hal Roach films. Oh, he did a couple of uh, our gang comedies. So he was invited to this banquet, and um, I guess I spotted him when I was in line there, and I, uh, whether he was directly in front of me, I don't recall now, but uh, I, I managed to, to sit with him at his table. And, I, uh, of course, what's in the back of my mind is asking him but for anecdote, you know, just uh, get him talking and, and, and to hear some anecdotes about working yeah. with Spike. And he's so busy clowning around and entertaining us at the table, I never got a chance to ask yeah. him. You know, he takes the... Uh, uh, he takes the baked potato that's on his plate. He had a couple of record albums with him. He just put out that Fetal Bomb Returns LP. Yeah. A few years earlier, and so he has a couple of copies of that with him. He peels the shrink wrap off one of these LPs, <laughs> and he wraps up the, the big potato or the half of the big potato and pockets it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he takes the and he takes the salt shaker and holds it. He turns it upside down and holds it against his chin. Oh the bottom, you know, the bottom of his chin. 
imitation of an old man on the mountain turns the salt <laughs> shaker upside down. So here's the salt pouring out in every direction, you know, oh my God, uh, everywhere, going everywhere, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. And um, uh, He was a funny man. He was, well, and his, and his, at his house, and he shows me, he says, uh, he's, we're talking, and he just suddenly says, um, 40-foot sailboat, and he pulls this little plastic, he pulls this little miniature sailboat off the off the shelf and turns it upside down, there's, you know, 40 little plastic feet glued to the bottom of it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But that was, God. you know, I mean, a, a doodle son was telling me the other day, I mean, I, I don't know how, you, how, how old you were when your dad uh, showed you how to change the spark plugs on your car, but <laughs> doodle son was two years old. Oh, my God. You know, he's, 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 uh, he's smoking cigars, and he's changing, helping to change the spark plugs oh on his dad's God. car. <laughs> and if anybody else told me that, I told him, I told when I said, if anybody else told me that, I would say you were absolutely full of it. And <laughs> yeah. with, with, with Doodle's son, I, you know, son of Fetal Bomb, well, I have absolutely no doubt. There you, you know, go. He's, a, he's, he's 100% on the level, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If people don't know, but Doodle's is in The Birds, I guess, right? He's the in the movie The Birds, the Alfred Hitchcock film. He's the guy that... Oh, he is, yeah, absolutely. He is a, right. Yeah, he's a great little right. He's the guy who runs the boat, takes her out on the boat. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's in lots of pictures. He's in uh, several of the Jerry Lewis pictures from that period. Uh, Jerry had a had a particular appreciation for him and yeah, uh, yeah. and put him in uh, two or three of his pictures. Yeah, he was probably lip syncing to his recordings in his nightclub act. You know, like the uh, Jerry was lip syncing to Spike's records in his yeah, nightclub act. Yeah, 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 That's what yeah, I mean. yeah. Yeah, and I, I just found out that Dick Van Dyke was doing the same thing. Really? I just uh, I just saw a clip last year of uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke on the Ed Sullivan Show from about 1959. Yeah. <laughs> and here he is, lip-syncing. I always, uh, you always heard the one you love or something, you know. You know, I've seen uh, you know? Rip Taylor doing that on a Mike Douglas show years ago. And oh, when yeah. it comes to the part with the bells, he's moving his arm around. You know, it's wild. <laughs> people today wouldn't even think to lip sync. Well, they lip sync anyway, but you know. <laughs> mm, and, and also, yeah, uh, another guy who did it was, uh, um, oh god, the, uh, the Muppets, the uh, Jim Henson. Uh, Jim Henson, thank you. Yeah, there's uh, a guy coming out with a book on Jim Henson, but he, that's what, you know, just as the book is. Has gone to print. He tells he uh, he uh, email, sends me an email and he tells me about this. There's a clip on YouTube from one of it's one it's one of the Liberty albums, you know, huh. I think. And there's uh, or maybe it's the uh, Spike Jones stereo, I think. With the uh, but uh, here here are the uh, an early version of the Muppets, you know, lip syncing. Oh wow! With the, on the Spike Jones album, yeah. That's a tribute to Spike. And apparently, yeah, Jim yeah. Henson did a bunch, did a lot of that in the early, in the very beginning. When but, did uh, uh, yeah. when did Kay Ballard join the band? In the late about nineteen, this is the late nineteen forty-five. Oh, I, that early. Yeah. And she's yeah, she's with the band for just about exactly a year. Um, late forty-six. Uh, somebody sees her and offers her a. A spot in a, uh, I guess it was an off-Broadway review or a Broadway show. I can't recall now. And uh, 
and she just jumped at it. And uh, the, unfortunately, she had a contract with Spike, and uh, she was underage when she signed this contract. Apparently, oh. uh, I guess she had to be twenty-one at the time. And she, um, anyway, so she she broke this contract, and uh, yeah, yeah. And she 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 has she has nice things to say about him in her book. Yeah. The only the only bad thing that she has to say about Spike in her book was that, uh, you know, he was boring or something like that. You know, oh no, he was, uh, but um, he was thinking, and, 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 and I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not getting that exactly right. It's it's just something like he was kind of dull or something. But yeah, uh, but Spike, um, there's a story that uh, Eddie Brandt, Spike's writer, told me that. Uh, uh, they're in Chicago, and Irv Cupsonet, who was a well-known Chicago uh, columnist, uh, they're in a restaurant or something, and he runs into him, and 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 Irv Cupsonet goes over because he knows Spike, and then um, goes over and he says hello to him, and he's talking to him, and he says, uh, um, "This how is Kate Ballard or something?" And Spike says. Did you ever have cancer? Oh, <laughs> Hard to handle, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, Spike was no was oh, was no. infamous with this very uh, acerbic, yeah. uh, salty sense of humor. You That's know, a good one uh, for this very sharp tongue and this. Uh, I have many other stories about this, and some oh. of them we can't really tell on the air. But uh, <laughs> oh, that, this guy was just. Some guy, he's walking through the studio. I heard this from one of Spike's band members, but there's some guy who was just, uh, whether it was on a tour or he was happened to be, I don't know. Anyway, he's, um, he sees Spike and he strikes up this conversation with him and he made some, some remark and Spike just let him have it. He just, oh, he just lashed out at him with this razor sharp tongue of his and just, you know, just, just, um, I have, I have letters. I saw, you know, there are letters that I have from my, that I found and, uh, and this, um, there's, there's a letter from this, uh, this guy, this guy's an attorney and he sends him a song. You know, people have been sending songs from all yeah. over the place. <laughs> you know, he's just, just amateur songwriters. You want to be songwriters. And this guy sends him this song and, uh, Spike's not terribly impressed with it. So he writes back, uh, you know, so the effect, I hope you're a better attorney than you are a songwriter. Oh, <laughs> this guy was, was Spike's match and the, uh, you know, he just, he just wrote you back some, you know, yeah, very yeah. nasty response. And, uh, <laughs> on the envelope, he puts, uh, he addresses it to, you know, to Spike and he, and, and then below it, he writes, if not there, please forward the forest lawn, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a funny guy in life and in uh, music. Well, Jordan, we're almost coming to the time here, the top of the hour. And I want to thank you for being with us, first of all. And tell us again how to get this great book. It's a pleasure, Jeff. Uh, thank you for, for having me on. And I want to also uh, I want to thank Ginger Pauly for putting us together. Yeah. 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 Ginger. Yeah. So, great gal who's, uh, as you do, has a tremendous appreciation for that era. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
You have to look her up on the internet for people that don't know who Ginger Pauly is. Look her up, and she has a great little uh, show where she goes to old buildings and shows you people that live the lifestyle of the 30s and 40s in their homes today. I forget the name. And, of I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I met both of you on the same, uh, you're with the same band, the, uh, the Crazy Rhythm, uh, Crazy Rhythm uh, That's right. Society. Yeah. 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 Fun times. Yeah. And I sure miss those concerts. But anyway, the uh, uh, the book is available on Amazon, both in hardcover and paperback, and available at uh, barnesandnoble.com. And it's a great, great book. So we hope that everybody uh, out there that loves Spike Jones, this is the document that you need. The reference, It's the encyclopedia of Spike Jones is what it is. <laughs> it's everything you ever wanted to know and more. And the photographs are just terrific. You must have quite a stash of that stuff. Yeah, there's, there's more. I mean, in each in each in each edition, I have uh, I have uh, I've dug more out of the files or found more. Uh, in this one, I've got a color photograph of Spike talking to some crazy lady in uh, I guess it's in St. Louis uh, on the back of the book. Uh, there are very few color photographs, and uh, she's wearing a, a very odd outfit and uh so spike is wearing a, he's in an overcoat but that he's wearing on his head it looks like a little beanie with a propeller or something and <laughs> but uh, uh i love yeah. i love that so, front cover of the the book with all his suits and that's real color and oh, thank you yeah. and vaguely i think i'm reading on that coat hanger beverly wilshire see it in the, over on the left side there <laughs> i'm not sure but, it is I, Beverly Wilshire. but you know, myself, every time I worked in a hotel like that, I'd always grab a coat hanger from my clothes. That's a weird thing I share with Spike, I guess. <laughs> you just grab a coat hanger I've from been, the hotel you're I've in. Uh, I've got a couple of old wooden coat hangers from my dad. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, from, from old Las Vegas hotels or something, yeah. Yeah, it's an odd hobby, but <laughs> yeah, people yeah. do it. <laughs> now my dad would bring home bath mats, too, from oh my God. Uh, <laughs> when, he, when he traveled, you know, at the uh, hotels in Denver and Montana and places like that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. He'd bring home these bath mats. We still have a few of those. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, thank you so much, Jeff. I really enjoyed this. And, yeah, Jordan. Uh, and I'd love to do it again sometime if you're, if you're uh, sure. crazy enough to, to do Yeah, it. we'll do another hour, and we'll just talk about Spike. And I'm sure everybody out there enjoyed the hour we spent with you, and we're going to be on for another hour. But I want to thank you, Jordan, and tell us again how to get that book. Oh, uh, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, either one of them. I'm sure I'd be happy to uh, yeah. take your money. Yeah. And it's a great read, and you'll enjoy it. And thank you again, Jordan, and thank you for your love of Spike Jones and good music and unnatural thank music. Thank you so much, Chef. It's, All right, uh, Jordan, we'll talk again, yeah. and I'm going to leave us with Laura, with Jimmy Cassidy, Red Ingle, and the uh, rest of the gang here, Horatio Q. Birdbath. Kind of Spike Jones. Dave, Rax, Dave Raxon, very, uh, by the way, was very, uh, he, was, he, was, he was disappointed that Spike didn't uh, do more to, to cloud up this uh, Oh, really? Recording. Yeah. I think it's pretty good the way it is, with his other orchestra in the beginning, I guess, right? Yeah. 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 All right, Jordan, have a great afternoon, and uh, thanks again from all of us here at KSVY, and we wish you a million seller on that book. Yeah. All right? Thank you, Jeff. All right, thanks again. All we'll talk soon. You. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Jordan Young, right here on KSVY. This is Jeff's Joint.
face in the misty light Footsteps that you hear down the hall The laugh that floats on the summer night That you can never quite recall And you see Laura On the train that is passing through Those eyes, how familiar they seem She gave your very first kiss to you That was Laura But she's only a dream Mike Jones and his City Slickers and his other orchestra with that great hit written by Johnny Mercer and David Raxon for the film Laura, the movie of the same name, obviously, with Gene Tierney and Dana Andrews and Clifton Webb. Who can forget that? Red Engel on the vocal along with Horatio Q. Birdbath and Mr. Jimmy Cassidy. And we've spent the last half hour here on KSVY talking with Jordan Young, the man who wrote a great book about Spike Jones, Off the Record, The Man Who Murdered Music, available on Amazon. Just check it out. It's a great book, and you'll be supporting a great guy who uh, spent a lot of time putting that together. And we'll be with you for another hour here on KSVY, the station, the biggest little station this side of the... Mojave Desert, and uh, here we are at uh, 59 minutes, one thirty seconds to noon. I'm sorry, but I'm trying to get a phonograph to work here, and uh, it's not working. Yes. Anyway, this is Jeff's Joint. Stay with us right here on KSVY. KSVY Sonoma.
Recorded in 1945, Spike Jones and his City Slickers with that great tune written by David Rose, Holiday for Strings, which was Red Skelton's old theme song on his old TV show when David Rose was at the baton on the band Stanford Red. And that was Spike's version of it right there. Only one like it, and there it is. Only one of a kind he was, Mr. Spike Jones. I am Jeff Gilbert. It's 12 minutes. Uh, it's three minutes past the hour of 12 here on KSVY. Here in the studio off the main studios, today we are saluting Spike Jones, and a little later we may have a few other surprises. You never know what's going to happen or who's going to pop in or pop out. But the password, as always, is Swordfish, and we are sponsored by El Segundo Tuna. The can, the tuna that can do and comes in a pouch or a can. And from every can to every pouch, it's always uh, delicious. Good to the last drop. Anyway, we're about to drop one way or the other, but here's a little thing that uh, our good friend Jordan sent us here, and this is from around 1947 on the radio with Mr. Ralph Edwards, who we all remember from This Is Your Life and Truth or Consequences. He was the host of that on radio and, I believe, in early television. But uh, here he is with uh, Spike Jones and the band with their uh, version of Glowworm, so it's about seven minutes long. Enjoy Ralph Edwards. This is your life, Ralph Edwards. Mrs. Andrews, you haven't told truth, so you must pay the consequences. Now, very often on Truth or Consequences, we put aside our pies and water tanks and go in for serious entertainment. And that's why in our warm-up, we tried to get ladies who could really, really sing beautifully tonight. Now, when we asked for ladies who could sing Glowworm during our warm-up period, you volunteered, and I must say you sang it the best. Uh, have you studied singing? Yes, I have. You have? Are you a teacher or anything like no, that? No, I'm not. Well, you certainly were swell. You have a very fine uh, voice, and I think that our great radio audience should have an opportunity uh, to hear you. Now, so for your consequence tonight, we want you to sing Glowworm. And uh, behind the curtain, we have a full orchestra to accompany you. Okay? Have you sung in concert at all? Yes. Have no. you? Well, yes. Well, you will. Not with an orchestra. I see. And here is the... i tell you what, you come around here, because I want you to meet the conductor of the orchestra. Uh, here he is to welcome you, Dr. Uh, uh, Spicuro Gionesevini. Uh, Dr. Gionesevini, ladies and gentlemen, come out, sir, if you will, please. <laughs> How do you do? Uh, Dr. Giannisavini, I want you to meet Mrs. Uh, Andrews, Miss Floyd Andrews. It is a pleasure, Signora. Yeah. Doctor, is there anything now you would like to ask uh, Mrs. Uh, Andrews? Uh, yes, sir, please. Mrs. Andrews, uh, uh, what a key do you prefer to sing in, if you please? Uh? Oh, in a high key. In a high key. A uh, what, approximately? Uh, around an E-flat, possibly. Could be, huh? uh, right. Could be. That's swell. Probably will. <laughs> yes, I guess then uh, we're about ready, eh, Doctor? Yes, thank you so much, if you please. Yes. Now, uh, Mrs., um, 
Uh, Andrews, you get on this uh, step right back here in the spotlight, if you please. Be careful of the microphone. And uh, uh, that's it. And, Doctor, uh, you right over there with the, the microphone, please, Mrs. Andrews. Doctor, uh, you'll give her a little introduction first, won't you? Yes, of course, sir. The, the orchestra. Thank you. Are you ready now, Mrs. Andrews? All right. Yes. Uh, remember, they're listening to you coast to coast. Truly, this is uh, what we... Things do come once in a while out of truth and consequences. We have producers and everybody listening in. And please give it everything you can. Now the house lights dim. Dr. Giannisavini raises his baton. And the orchestra plays the introduction to Glowworm. Really sing it out. here, Mrs. Andrews. What, what is going on? You see, Mrs. Andrews, we can't get serious on Truth or Consequences even we want to. Meet your new conductor, Spike Jones. Hi! You did? I almost gave you away. You're expecting maybe Toscanini? Oh, sure. <laughs> I could get him. I see. All right. Now, uh, music lover, huh? Yes, yeah, Spike. Uh, how, <laughs> how will you be able to uh, hear uh, Mrs. Andrews now? You're going to accompany her. How are you able to hear when your boys play so loud? Oh, that's very easy, Ralph. I just used earmuffs, that's all. Oh, well, that, uh, oh, that's logical. Yes, that, 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 that's understandable. That he, 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 here. All right. Now, Mrs. Andrews, Mrs. Andrews, are you ready to try Glowworm a Glen? Glowworm? I can sing it in spite of it. Yes, all in right. In spite of us? All right. Yes. Because now, don't be frightened if Glowworm uh, gets slightly lit up at the end, will you? Don't worry about that. Now, if you can sing Glowworm without stopping, I mean just right on through to Spike Jones' accompaniment here, you'll get a nice prize. All right. Okay? Okay, now you wait for the introduction, Ms. Andrews, yeah. right? You sure you'll give me one? <laughs> yes. All right. All right, here we go. Give her the key. Give her the whole orchestra. Let's go. I'm there. I'm 
land everywhere. My good man, land Morgan, you sing Thank you very much. Well, I hope to see you Friday on our show. Oh, good. Huh? That's nice. Oh, what's going on? Oh, sorry. like the glue worm, and you did better pronouncing it than I did. You stayed with him from the beginning, and when it was over, you were ahead by two lengths. She <laughs> certainly was. Yeah. She was even better than Fiedelbaum, Ralph. Fiedelbaum is right. Spike, I don't know how to thank you for being with us tonight. And that is, of course, Ralph Edwards from Truth or Consequences in 1947 from the Golden Age of Radio. Right here, we're saluting Spike Jones today at 11 minutes past the hour here in Jeff's Joint. Here's a tune that had a little controversy, not with the public, but with Vaughn Monroe, who didn't like the end of this song, and uh, later it was taken out and overdubbed. But here's the original version with I.W. Harper and Mr. Sir Frederick Gass with Ghost Riders in the Sky. Yippee-i-yay! An old cowpoke went riding out one dark and windy day. Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw A plowing through the ragged skies And a cloudy Uh, when do I come in, old timer? In this song, it don't matter, partner. Go ahead, sing. Their faces gone, their eyes were blurred, their shirts all wet with sweat. Don't be half foolish boy. <laughs> They're riding hard to catch the herd, but they ain't caught them yet. Get along, little doggy. Cause you got to ride forever on that age up in the sky On horses snorting fire Is that possible? How would I know? As they ride on here they cry This is a cowboy legend? Oi! Yippee! Yeah. 
The Danube is, the Danube is not blue. The Danube is green. Splash, splash, splash. Once more it ain't clean. Trash, trash. It's green as a bean. Shot truth. It ain't not serene. Rough, 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 rough. And though the blueberry looks a little purple, and though your maple syrup looks a little purple, don't believe what you have heard or you have saw. The Danube isn't blue. The Danube is green as a glass In the spring it's as green as the dolly you spend On the fling it's as green as the paint at the phone On the screen it's the blue as the Danube is green It's green
to be given the right to be carefree and gay once again. No longer slinking, respectably drinking like civilized ladies and men. charming scene like this in some secluded rendezvous that overlooks the avenue with someone sharing a delight chat this and that and cocktails for two as we enjoy a cigarette <laughs> to some exquisite chansonette Two hands are sure to slyly meet beneath a serviette with cocktails for two. My head may go reading, but my heart will be obedient with intoxicating kisses for the principal ingredient. Most any afternoon at five, we'll be so glad we're both alive. Then maybe fortune will complete the plan that all began with cocktails for two. Jones and his city slickers with a tune that was originally written for a film called Murder at the Vanities and introduced by Carl Brisson. And that was Spike's version of it right there with uh, the great Carl Grayson doing the vocal. And before that, we heard Del Porter and Carl Grayson from 1945 with Blue Danube. And we opened up with I.W. Harper and Sir Frederick Gass with Ghost Riders in the Sky from 1949. All recorded for the Victor label, who uh, Spike Jones was with for many a year until he left and went on his own to other labels like Liberty and... Uh, I forget the other label, Panorama or something like that. But anyway, here we are in the studio off the main studio, dusting off a lot of Spike Jones. And they don't need that much dusting, but they're right here, and we have them, and we uh, want to thank once again and look for the book. Spike Jones off the record, The Man Who Murdered Music by Mr. Jordan R. Young. He was with us for the first hour in our Spike Jones Festival here. He wrote that great book and just great information out of uh, Mr. Young. And right now we got up on the turntable, Leave the Dishes in the Sink, which was written by a band leader who was at the Trocadero for many a year, uh, Mr. Uh, Phil Oman. 
and this is Clink Clink Another Drink. And you're going to love it because Dill Porter is on it and the one and only Man of a Thousand Voices from 1942 from the original Bluebird 78. Leave the uh, Clink Clink Another Drink. I don't know where I'm at here. My God. There it is. Turn that needle upside down. There you go. Now you got it. Clink Clink Another Drink. And this, I believe, was written by Phil Oman. I can't remember now. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. That's usually how it goes here in Jeff's Joint. difference when you're on a spree over the teeth behind the gums look out stomach here she comes i have another drink on me gurgle 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 trickle 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 slice of cheese and bite a pickle doesn't even cost a nickel now to wash it down whoa clink clink no more to drink i had a cellar full but now it's gone Drink, drink, the glasses clink. I like the anvil chorus and my head is splitting. A breaky, a busty. Oh, brother. Oh, ow. What do I do now? Pink elephants are running after me. Though that stuff was smooth as silk. From now on, I'll stick to milk. Nothing else to drink for me. <laughs> Ocean blue. Then Pa took off Ma's apron and he hollered out, Yahoo! Yahoo! I'll leave the dishes in the sink. 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 I'll leave the dishes in
Each dirty plate will have to wait. Tonight we're gonna celebrate. Be the dishes in the sink. I began a fiddling and the dancing was begun. Then Grandpa took his coat off and he yelled, Partners, everyone! So each one picked a partner and they counted out one, two. And Ma, she twirled so pretty, they all hollered, Yahoo! Help me, the dishes in the sink. Ma, leave the dishes in the sink. Each dirty plate will have to wait. Tonight we're gonna celebrate. And while they all were dancing, the door flew open wide, and everybody stopped, and Sergeant Joey stepped inside. He shouted out, Pension! And everybody knew to bother with the dishes was not the thing to do. Oh, Plate will have to wait. Tonight we're gonna celebrate. Leave the dishes in the My thoughts go flashing back again to my old flame. I've met so many who had fascinating ways of fascinating gaze in their eyes. Some who took me up to the skies, but their attempts at love were only imitations of my old flame. I can't even think of her name But I'll never be the same Until I discover what became of my old flame <laughs> of human heads but it's funny now and then how my thoughts go flashing back again to my old flame my old flame my my new lovers all seem so tame they they won't even let me strangle them for i haven't met a girl so magnificent or elegant as my old flame. I, I've met so many who had fascinating ways, a fascinating gaze in their eye. I so desire, 
So I removed the other eye, that eye that kept winking and blinking at other men. It was me. I was... It, it was... It, it. Some who took me up to the skies. But their attempts at love were only imitations of my old flame. I, I can't even think of her name. Wait, wait, what was her name? Doris, Laura, Chloe, Manny, Moe, Jack. No, it couldn't have been Moe. I, I can't stand it, I tell you. This is driving me sane. She would always treat me mean. So I poured a can of gasoline and struck a match to... My <laughs> Spike Jones and his city slickers with another tune written by Sam Coslow. That tune was introduced by Mae West in Bella the 90s back in 1933. And before that, well, let's tell you who was on that. Paul Judson and the voice of Peter Lorre, of course, was Mr. Paul Fries, who did so many cartoons and voiceover work over the course of his lifetime. And we also heard Carl Grayson once again, Gene Harlow's favorite vocalist, with Leave the Dishes in the Sink, Ma. And we opened up with Clink Clink, another drink written by Sam Coslow, Mel Blank, Del Porter, and Spike Jones and his city slickers. It's 31 minutes past the hour here in Jeff's Joint. KSVY Sonoma The story you are about to hear is true? This is the city. It's quiet, it's peaceful. Millions of people are sleeping. I'm a cop. My name's Jim Saturday. I'm also Jim Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. My partner's Jim Sunday. That's my day off. The time was exactly 1.13 a.m. I knew it was 1.13 because since 1 o'clock I had boiled three two-minute eggs, two three-minute eggs, and made 60 cups of instant coffee. I was at the station house, and the boss came in like gangbusters. Jim, I'm going to throw this case to you. Get a nickel back on every bottle, Jim. Your boss is sure a scream. Ah! Somehow when the boss hits my funny bone, he really fractures me. <laughs> oh? I talked to my partner about the case. Partner, Snatcher McFink is struck again. He's kidnapped the whole state of Texas. He's done away entirely with Texas. Hooray! Is that a way to act when I tell you some varmint has done away with all Texas? Texas? I thought you said taxes. The time was now 2.14. I knew it was 2.14 because since 2.10, Guy Lombardo had played one chorus with a minute waltz. Suddenly, my brain began to work with machine gun precision. I'd remembered Snatcher McFink's hideout. We jumped into the squad car and took off. When we got to the hideout, I said to him, Okay, Snatcher, why did you snatch Texas? I don't know, copper. I had no motive. I'm plumb loco. Ah. Locomotive. And besides, I couldn't have been out snatching Texas. You see this dame? I looked. The dame was dead. Had she shot herself? Had she taken poison? Or had she taken gas? 
Snatcher, you know anything about this dead dame? A little. I killed her. That made me suspicious. You know, the dame was quite a doll. Kind of what the book writers call a siren. Man, I'll never forget those eyes of hers. One eye was blue, one eye was gray. The other eye was brown. It was time I gave the boss a buzz. Operator, give me the chief. By mistake, she'd give me the super chief. I told the boss we had nailed Snatcher. The boss could now close the case with the official seal. Crime does not pay. Guilty Aloysius P. McFink, alias the Snatcher, paid for his crime. His last message was... Jim, Saturday, I'll be out in 99 years and I'll get you for this. Whatever else I may be, I ain't chicken. And furthermore...
from 1961, Spike Jones and his city slickers with their version of Carmen. And before that, we heard Dragnet, Spike's version of that from 1953 as Jim Saturday. That was Spike himself doing the whole uh, recitation there. This is KSVY 91.3 FM. Here's a me- we were talking about him in the last hour, Mr. George Rock, who gave us All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. Here he is with a well-known hit of 1939 being recorded in the Victor Studios in Hollywood, California in 1953, along with Spike and the City Slickers, Three Little Fishies. I just put that in there because I, I, I thought it was kind of cute. And besides that, my, my mother is in the audience. <laughs> I'm in the mood for love simply because you're near me. 
uh, oh, oh, Mr. Electrician, uh, uh, that, that spotlight is too bright. Uh, my eyes, I, I can't see the music. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> Heaven is in your eyes. Oh, oh, oh sir, I, I, I told you that spotlight is too bright. I can't see the music. I, I warned him, didn't I? Why stop to think of weather? Go, George, go, George. Our little dream might fade. Oh, clever boy, he's really George. We put our hearts together. Now we are... George, George, you're not playing. Mother's in the audience, George. George. George, stop it, George. George! She's my mother, too. If there's a cloud above, if it should rain, we'll let it. But for tonight, forget it. But for tonight, forget it. Forget it, George. You're blowing out the candles. I'm in the mood for love. My heart, she lived crazy. Once a secret love had me, could be impatient, became to be free. So a friendly star told me, Oye, Pedro, the way that dreamers often do, just how wonderful you are, ooh, ah, and why I'm so in love with me. Now I shall be from the highest. The golden dove. What? The door is open in my heart. My secret love is anymore with me. Don't be afraid of my dog, he won't bark you. What kind of a dog is that? This is a Mexican spit, senor. A Mexican spit? Si, senor. Show him, Panchito. Go, go, go! Now I shot it from the highest hill. Even told the golden dove chrysanthemum. The door is open in my heart. 
My anymore in secret love with me. No, 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 no. My love is secret anymore with you. Nah. My secret anymore in love. Nah, no, 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 no. Ah, the heck with it. You know what I mean. Secret love. Spike Jones and his city slickers with their imitation of Mr. Desi Arnaz with Tony Martinez doing that uh, imitation. And we opened or opened up with Three Little Fishies with George Rock and sandwiched in the middle, I'm in the mood for love. Dorothy Fields and Frank Hughes perennial classic being done by Spike and the band along with Billy Barty as Lee. This is KSVY 91.3 FM getting ready to close up shop. That concludes our salute to Spike Jones. Here's the king of jazz, Mr. Paul Whiteman.
Terra and the Witnesses with Louis Prima and Keeley Smith right there with Autumn Leaves. And before that, we heard Paul Whiteman's arrangement of Raymond Scott's Powerhouse right here in Jeff's Joint. We want to thank you for tuning in today. I am Jeff Gilbert, and we'll be again next week at this time from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. as we end your morning and begin your afternoon with music from the Great American Songbook. Thanks again for listening, and thanks to Jordan R. Young, whose book, Spike Jones, Off the Record, The Man Who Murdered Music. Look for it today and buy a copy. It's a great book. If you enjoy Spike Jones, you'll love that book. This is KSVY, and we thank you once again. We'll see you next week, same time, same place, right here in the studio off the main studios with the whole gang. Until next time, remember to keep your sunny side up, and please always try to do it with your pants on. (laughs) 